0: Hi, I'm James. What's up? he's <laughs> not even pay attention. Oh well. Hey, uh, anybody get the weekly update that I send out every week? Okay, if you guys kind of want to know more what's going on, you go to our website, ourelement.org. The front page, if you haven't seen it since uh, Thursday at like midnight, is really awesome. It's ballin'. It's, it's, really, it's really great. I'm like totally 80s. It's like awesome. So if you go look at it, it's, it is it is really cool. Uh, but if you go up there, it says contact. You can actually put in your email address, and you get like a weekly email update from me where I just repeat myself many times over. Uh, in that, uh, I keep telling you guys that I got this gigantic box of milk duds that Bonnie gave to me, and nobody believes me how gigantic it is. I, t- I took a picture on Facebook. My dog has this in front of her. And my dog looks small. And my dog weighs like 110 pounds, okay? So, and then I got a picture of me like this, you know, do, doing the whole, oh, that's really bad, uh, never mind. It's, yeah. And, and David Long sends me this email and he says, and he goes, well, it always looks bigger when you hold it really close to the camera. And I'm all, and he's all, never mind, I stand corrected. So there you go. Dudes love milk duds. Right? Am I wrong? Oh, I went to watch The Passion at the movie theater, no less, and I got this box of milk duds. This is totally off subject, but I I, I got this box of milk duds, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, and then it starts, and I'm like, and I went home with a full box of milk duds. Never happens. See what The Passion does. So there you go. Uh, on all those announcements and stuff, Mikey puts into a thing called the Weekly, which is connected to our podcast. If you don't have iTunes or you don't podcast or you just don't want to hear me again, uh, you can actually pick up the Weekly now. It's right outside, 100% recycled paper. I keep telling you it's recycled toilet paper, just in case you're – I'm just kidding. Why, the inks? Never mind. Uh, children's ministry has a, a need. They want to put a manger scene in the back, and so if you have one just, like, hanging around your house – like people do uh, A manger Or if you're very good at building things And would like to come and help them build a manger Or just build one period for them uh, Talk to Patty this morning She's in the back Or talk to me and I will connect you to Patty Don't ask me to help because I'm not very good with tools And I could very well just put a nail through my finger Which would be probably really funny for you but not good for me Alright, so i got an early Christmas present for you We're going to uh, go back to John next week Oh, oh, thanks uh, If you see all these decorations that are in here uh, these were done by Jen and John. Where, are you guys here? Where'd they go? Right there. Right there. And the home quests, and they are all here, like, forever, doing it all, and didn't really even break anything, so it was amazing. So, thank you very much. It's great. Woo! Okay. Was that? I'm good, right? All right! Okay. Uh, so, early Christmas present for you. Oh! Dude, if I have, like, 2,000, I'm never going to remember all of them. So if you came to the if you went to the softball games, we were having a softball get together next Sunday at 3:30 at at my house. There's a sign-up sheet in the back. If you if you were on the team or if you were a fan, one of our many fans that came and cheered us on, you got, we had the most fans out of like all the teams. Uber fans, that's right. So if you guys want to come to that, uh, there's a sign-up sheet in the back, and you come, we're going to eat tri-tip and hang out. We'll sign your autographs and your foreheads and your arms and all that kind of stuff because you know we're just all into that. Ballin'. anyway so we're starting john next week it is the week after thanksgiving and so i have a present for you uh i'm gonna have eric one of our elders come and teach this morning so see, there you go my present you don't get me you get somebody else this week <laughs> so anyway uh, welcome eric he's one of our elders
1: Good morning element
0: me, jokes, but that's okay
1: yeah i'm not as funny as he is sorry So, how many of you uh, attended the Wednesday night gatherings? Raise your hands. Wasn't that awesome? Yeah, Yeah, I I see some faces there. Oh, yeah, don't feel bad. You missed out, though. It was really great. Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. This is 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11 and 12. Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountain and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I pray that by your Spirit, Lord, that you would speak to each one of us here, Lord, that you would remind us the price that you paid so that we could know you and be reconciled to you and have a personal relationship with you. Lord, thank you that you're there to guide us and to lead us. I pray that we might learn a little bit more this morning about what it means to hear your voice and to be led by you. So we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. Okay, by a show of hands, how many in this room would say that you know for certain that God has spoken to you at least once in your lifetime? Take a look around. How many of you would say that you know for certain that God has spoken to you more than once, several times? Isn't that amazing? You know, it's clear when we look around that God intends to speak to His children. He wants to communicate to us. And those that have walked with God for a while have learned to hear His voice. And we've come to understand that God speaks to us in different ways. And there's a certainty about it that's really unmistakable. Maybe you didn't raise your hand because maybe you're not sure. After all, doesn't it seem kind of presumptuous to say that God actually speaks to me? After all, can anyone really be sure? The comedian Lily Tomlin asked the question, why is it that when we speak to God, we're said to be praying, but that when God speaks to us, we're said to be schizophrenic? (laughs) Maybe you saw the interview uh, with Bill Maurer on The View talking about his movie Religious. And one of the hosts, um, Sherry Shepard, she asked Bill if he had ever just talked to God and asked him what he thinks. Because she said, you know, God will talk to you. He talks to me. And Bill responds by asking, well, did he answer you? And she said, well, yeah, he answered me. And he said, well, then we should call Bellevue because she needs to be committed to a mental institution. But maybe you're asking, you know, well, who am I anyway? that The God of the universe would actually want to interact with me. Certainly I'm not worthy. But the clear message throughout the scriptures and the experience of believers throughout the ages is that God created us for intimate friendship and a loving relationship with himself, both now and forever. Um, Jesus said that when we make God and his kingdom our first priority, we begin to live this eternal kind of life where we're united with him and him with us in such a way that we know for certain and we know him intimately. We know for certain that he's there with us every step of the way. When he gave us the model prayer of how to pray to the Father, he said in Matthew 6, uh, verse 10, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in verse 33 of the same chapter, he said But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you, all the things that you worry about. And then in John, chapter 17, verse 3, he said, this is eternal life that they know you the only true god and jesus christ whom you have sent so this is the big idea for this morning that it's in this loving personal relationship with our eternal god made possible only through faith in jesus christ that we can begin to live this eternal kind of life that's filled with god's presence that's led by his guidance and that's empowered by his strength any of you know what i mean Yeah. Anyone who objectively uh, observes those that claim to know Christ, at some point or another, you're going to run across people that are quick to say, you know, God told me this, or God told me that, or God had given me a message you know, for you. And in many cases, that might be correct. But many believers find themselves getting caught up trying to hear the voice of God to obtain guidance and personal blessing while they ignore the revealed Word of God and they miss God's overall will to transform them into people that actually think and live and love like Jesus did. So we end up with people claiming to hear from God whose lives, practically speaking, don't look anything like Jesus at all. You know, I trusted Jesus as my Lord and Savior in 1982. I was 18 years old. And shortly after that, I found a job through a friend of mine working, through, uh, working for a local evangelist. And as a brand new Christian, all I knew at that time was that Jesus died for my sins so that I could be forgiven. And I just wanted to follow him and I wanted to know him better. So I thought, you know, what better way to learn more about Jesus and to grow in my faith than to work for an evangelist who uh, hears directly from God and goes around the country, you know, telling people about him. So I worked as a printer uh, oper- operating uh, Offset Presses and I produced the books and letters and the other material that was developed by the evangelist. And After several months there, you know, I began to be exposed to various things that we would offer to believers so that they might receive the blessings of God and financial prosperity. And I remember there was this one thing, a miracle spring water that came in a little vial and we'd mail it to you and you would, you would take that vial and you would drink it. And as long as you sent in your faith offering... You know, God would bless you with financial wealth or healing for you or for your loved ones, or we had these prayer cloths that you know the evangelist would pray over and he'd write a long letter about the process and he'd mail it out and then um, you would touch it and you would send in your offering and of course you'd be blessed and receive financial prosperity and wealth. Um, <clears throat> you know I should have gotten a clue that something was wrong here because after about a year, I worked there just a little under a year, I had to go to the emergency room twice. One's for getting smashed in the face with a, a steel rod, and the other one for almost losing half of his finger in a, in a printing press. But um, some of you may have known uh, this person, and I brought a little video clip, and I have a disclaimer. You know, it's kind of troubling to watch that this stuff actually takes place for real, that people claim to hear from God, and it's not always the case. Go ahead and cue it up. The world of
0: you. Up. I developed a special interest in a television evangelist named Peter Popoff. God told me, he said, you smack
1: that cancer with your fist. At the time, Popoff was pulling in nearly $4 million a year, healing people on his miracle crusades.
0: You got cancer of the stomach? Are you ready for God to burn that cancer out? Here it goes in the mighty... Devil, back off. Back off, devil! Oh. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! you really believe you're healed? Yes. Do you yes, think your chances are gone now? Yes, I believe that. Because you never realize. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. I'll tell you, from now on, you're going to have a song of victory in your heart. Mm-hmm.
1: Amen. To his followers pop off seem to have divine powers.
0: Alice, is it Gould, Alice? Gould? He knew their names. Stand up, Alice. As well as the afflictions that come to cure. God is touching that thyroid condition right now. God is touching your nerves right now. God is touching your eyes. Just lift up your hands, get ready. Here it comes. They also do the personal details of their lives. good news from Charles. Before everything is so all brought you, he's going to be completely delivered
1: because of your prayers, because of your faith. Here it comes, complete healing, Jesus. Well, you get the idea. Um, anybody heard of Peter Popoff? Yeah, Well, you know, I never actually attended any of the uh, the rallies that he had. I worked in the back room, but uh, you know, it's no wonder that nonbelievers, you know. Take a look, and they look at believers that say, you, know, "You claim to hear from God; that God speaks to you," and they think we're crazy. They think we're nuts. Um, could God give specific words of knowledge like this? Absolutely. And does He? When He deems it appropriate, He absolutely does, and He can. But this is not the normal and preferred way that God chooses to lead and guide His people. You know, uh, Peter actually had his wife at the at the rallies. Uh, and people would fill out the prayer cards, and she would go through and read the prayer cards, and they had a wireless earpiece and he would, she would be feeding him the information, so all of that was done electronically, so he was exposed in one thousand nine hundred and eighty seven and fortunately, I was long gone by that time, but I was amazed to see him on TV just a few months ago he 's doing the exact same thing, and you know some people say, "Hey, you know, be careful about what you say about you know, god 's preachers and so forth." but you know as an elder here we 're called to um, we're called to feed the sheep and to protect the sheep, and he's a wolf, and that's a wolf in sheep's clothing, and we need to expose people like that. At any rate, one thing that I learned during my time as a new believer was that God does indeed speak to believers in, in numerous ways, and I spent a lot of time seeking God and asking him to speak to me and to show me you know, what he wanted me to do with my life. And even though I never heard God as clearly as I thought Peter seemed to have heard Him, I began learning to recognize when God was guiding me and directing me. And I learned what it was like to both follow His leading and experience the consequences of not listening and not obeying. So we see throughout the scripture that it's the norm for God to speak to His people. To the ancient Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 4 it says this, but from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search for after him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. For ask now of the days that are past which were before you since the day that God created man on earth and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? And to the individual with faith among the Israelites, the Israelites, who cried out expectantly to God in Psalm 143, 10, "'Teach me to do your will. "'Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. "'Let your good spirit lead me on level ground.'" And in Psalm 32, 8, it says that, "'I will instruct you and teach you "'in the way that you should go. "'I will counsel you with my eye upon you.'" In the Psalm of David, in Psalm 23, we see how God leads us beside green pastures. And restores our soul and leads us by still waters. The prophet Isaiah, who had firsthand experience conversing with God, described the conditions of the faithful like this in Isaiah 58. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong, and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And also Jesus in John chapter 14, in verse 20 and 23. He said that in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and that you in me, and that I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if, anybody, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him, and we'll make our home with him. You see, the spirit of God that indwells every believer is not mute. How could there be such intimate personal communion and relationship with our God or with anyone else without individualized communication? For some today, it seems that our personal relationship with God is treated more like an arrangement or an understanding between Jesus and his Father, one where the believer has a personal account in heaven that they can draw on for the merits of Christ to pay for their sins. But Jesus said in John 15, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I call you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. And he says, Behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age, I'll be with you every minute. Hebrews 13:5, I will never leave you or forsake you. So the scriptures always present the relationship between God and his people more like a friendship or a family relationship than one person just arranging to take care of the needs of another. From Adam to the apostle John, we see God dealing with individuals on a one-to-one basis. There's nothing second-hand about his divine encounters with Abraham or Moses or Isaiah or Mary or Paul or Peter. And all the rest. And if you look throughout church history, you'll find the same is true for those considered leaders in the spiritual life—people like Saint Augustine, Saint Francis of Assisi, uh, Martin Luther, George Fox, John Wesley, Charles Spurgeon, many others—all through church history, all witness to the fact that personal communication and um, personal communication with God was both life-changing, as well as it was like their daily bread. They depended on it. But contrary to the massive testimony that we have in the scriptures and the widespread faith of God's personal communication with believers, with us, we also find that there's this general uncertainty about how God's voice actually works today and what place that it has in our lives. So we need to develop a clear and practical understanding of how God guides and communicates with us. And there are a few general areas that we need to look at that need to be understood and addressed. Are you with me? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> First, God's communications can come in various forms, in different ways. And this is to be expected um, as a variety of means is appropriate to the complexity of our human personality. God is willing to reach out to us in whatever way is suitable to our fallen and our weakened condition. And the second is this we may have the wrong motives for seeking to hear from God. If we're seeking to hear from God only to secure our own safety or our own comfort, then this becomes a preoccupation with ourselves and not for the will or the glory of God. We won't find God's purposes for our lives if we have this false motivation as the foundation. And third, we may not understand God's communications with us if we misconceive the very nature of our Heavenly Father and His intent for us as His children. You see, God never intended for us to be robots awaiting His next command. Or puppets that are on a string. So our views of hearing God must not be based on ideas like that. E. Stanley Jones wrote this. Obviously God must guide in a way that will develop spontaneity in us. The development of character rather than direction in this, that or the other. Must be the primary purpose of the Father. He will guide us but he won't override us. And fourth. The ideal for hearing from God lies in the nature of who God is and the way that he's made us as human beings in his image. This allows and it calls for a conversational relationship between God and between us. It's the kind of relationship that's suited to mature, loving friends that are involved in a shared activity or a shared goal. And it's within this type of relationship that God would intend for us that we would recognize his voice speaking in our hearts and as he sees it appropriate for the occasion. You know, Jesus, our good shepherd, he came to bring us life, the scripture says, and to bring it more abundantly. And this abundance comes only by following him. And in John ten four, it says that the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. They've learned to hear his voice. So in our attempts to understand how God speaks to us and how he guides us, we must be clear that this should be the normal expectation only as a part of a certain kind of life. And that's a life of loving fellowship with our God and with others who love him. And it's within this type of loving fellowship that God intends to develop into an intelligent, free, and cooperative relationship built on the richness of his love. You see, when you love somebody, you don't want to have to order them around and always tell them what to do. Your desire is that they would know you well enough to understand what your will is and understand what is needed without you having to say anything at all. And so it is in our union with God. He doesn't delight in having to always explain His will to us, but He enjoys when we understand Him well enough to act upon His will naturally. This is our highest calling, to love God with all of our being. And this we do when we seek to please Him and to obey Him as He reveals His will to us. If we want to walk in His presence and to be led by Him, we have to listen and obey when we hear Him speak. The second thing here is we have to look at the scriptures and we have to see how God interacted with his people in the Bible. We have to understand and believe that they were human just as we are and that their experiences with God are basically the same types as ours would have been if we were in their shoes. Their feelings would have been no different if we were in their place. They would have been no different than ours. And if we can't do this, we won't be able to genuinely believe the reality of those experiences recorded. The Bible then becomes just a book of doctrine or abstract truth about God that we can study forever without ever really encountering God himself. And this was the attitude of many of the religious Jews of, D- of Jesus' day when he said to them in John chapter 5, he said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And, it's, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. And another problem with not understanding the experience uh, of those in the Bible in terms of our own experience is that we'll simply stop reading the Bible altogether or we'll choke it down like medicine because we know that it's good for us. But the scriptures themselves teach us that the experience of believers like Paul and Barnabas and Elijah, etc., was substantially like ours because they were merely human, just like we are. Even Jesus, who was fully God, became fully man. Philippians 2.7 says this, that he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Literally, he emptied himself. And we know he emptied himself, not of his divine nature, he was still God, but of his divine powers. And so everything that he did, when we read about Jesus' teaching the multitudes, when we read about him praying all night long, and healing every sort of disease, and all of the other miracles that he did... He did it only by the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that indwells every single true believer today. If we're to hear God's voice ourselves, we need to observe how his word came to those people and how it was described in the scriptures. And we have to try to understand what it was like for them to hear God. And then we need to use our imagination and put ourselves in their, in their shoes, in their place, put ourselves in the place of Moses standing by the burning bush Or in the place of young Samuel, who was laying in the temple when God spoke to him, or in the place of Peter when he was on the rooftop receiving a vision from God. And another thing, we need to avoid the trap of humble arrogance, which can deceitfully close us off from hearing God. This is an attitude that sees the greatness of God and then it looks at our own unworthiness and therefore concludes that, you know, God wouldn't be interested in the details of my life. You know, I'm not that important, so why even look to Him? for specific guidance. But this contradicts what God has revealed in the Bible. It's precisely because of God's greatness that he can know and he can interact with the details of my life and with your life and anybody else's that he chooses to. Many uh, many that God spoke to in the scriptures tried to plead unworthiness. Moses and Gideon are two examples of that. And while there's truth to our natural unworthiness, it's now beside the point. Because God gave his son's life for us, and he chooses to inhabit us as a living temple. So obviously we are important enough for him to guide us and to speak to us whenever that's appropriate. But as we seek and receive God's word to us, we must at the same time seek the grace of humility. We need to be humble. Because you see, God speaking to us does not in itself make us important. It doesn't make us any better than anybody else. You know, Moses probably holds the world record for the longest conversations with God. I'm sure he's in the top ten anyway. And in in Numbers 12, verse 3, it says this, Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. He was the most humble man on the face of the earth. And there's no doubt that there was a connection between his meekness and his close working and talking relationship with God. In Psalms 25, verse 9, it says this, He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble in his way. On this verse, A.T. Pearson comments, Here's a double emphasis on meekness as a condition of such guidance and teaching. Meekness is a real preference for God's will. Where this holy habit of mind exists, the whole being becomes so open to impression that without any outward sign or token, there's an inward recognition and choice of the will of God. God guides not by visible sign, but by swaying the judgment. To wait before Him, weighing candidly in the scales every consideration for or against a proposed course, and in readiness to see which way the preponderance lies, is a frame of mind and heart in which one is fitted to be guided. And God touches the scales and makes the balance to sway as He will. But our hands have to be off the scales, otherwise, we need to expect no interposition. Of his, of his in our favor so the third guideline is this that we must keep this in mind that as we seek God, when God speaks to us, it doesn't prove that we're righteous or that we're even right. Humility is always required because even though the messenger and the message may be perfect, our ability to receive it and correctly understand it is not. So when we talk about guidance we talk about being led, there's generally two types of guidance. The first one is the mechanical variety, if you will. And this is the type of guidance that's involved in like driving a car when you guide a car or a remote control airplane or something like that. This is where you guide something by causing it to proceed in a certain way that's preferred to by us. This could also apply to maybe parents uh, that are trying to guide young children and when the, uh, the parent is controlling them and imposing their will on the child to get them to do what's, what's desired as opposed to acknowledging the child's will in that situation. Does anybody here have uh, GPS navigation? Anybody? So you know how that works? Last January, Terry and I uh, went to Germany on a business trip, and we rented a car there with a voice-guided GPS uh, activation system so that um, we'd never get lost, hopefully. Uh, That wasn't quite the case. Um, And one of the problems we had is that it spoke English with a German accent, and we could barely understand it. You know, but I can remember thinking to myself when we were in Germany, and the streets are really weird there. I mean, the Autobahn is cool, I mean, really cool. And I got in trouble for that. But, you know, some of the older areas, I mean, the street names, it's just, it's totally crazy. But I can remember thinking to myself, you know, sometimes I wish God would just communicate with me like that. You know, stay on this road for 10 miles, okay? Your streets are approaching. Get ready to turn right. Turn right. Dünkoff. I said, turn right. No, make a U-turn here. You know, sometimes I wish God would just lead me step by step by step, you know. But And sometimes he does. You know, we hear stories about missionaries who were led every step of the way. Sometimes that happens because sometimes it's appropriate. You know, but this usually doesn't suit our personal nature and respect our individual will. So it's not the normal way that God chooses to lead us. So there's also personal guidance. And here, too, we want things to proceed in a certain way. But now we're dealing with people. And people have a mind and they have a will of their own to consider matters and decide what is to be done. And the ideal is to achieve the desired outcome while allowing the mind as well as, um, the mind and the will of the individual to fully participate so that the results, the work of the individual being guided as well as the individual who's doing the guiding. It's the outcome of both. And because our individual uniqueness counts before God, he won't override it but rather he'll guide us through our understanding, through our deliberation, through our own decisions. And this is why we're always responsible for our choices before God. Now, in order for this to happen, though, there has to be communication. There has to be communication with those that are being guided. And God generally deals with his non-human, non-personal creation as as we would guide a car. But with his... Personal creatures like us were guided by the communication of His thoughts and of His intentions, and we're addressed by God. In Psalm 32, 9, it says this, Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. You see, we're to be led and guided by reasonable and intelligible communication, not by blind impulse or by force. So how does this communication take place? I'm glad you asked. There's basically two ways that God communicates with, uh, with us. And the first is what we'll recognize as God's voice or his words that are addressed to us or even through us. It's the word of God or it's God speaking. And the Bible itself is God speaking preserved in written form. God spoke directly to Moses and to the prophets and to Paul and and to many others. And through them, he spoke indirectly to the people of Israel and to the church. And now in the Bible, he speaks to us and to all of world history. And throughout the book of Acts, we read accounts of how the voice of God purposefully communicated with Peter and Paul and, and others. Through the Holy Spirit, he would lead them to the people and to the areas that he wanted them to preach and minister And these types of communications by words from God seem to be the normal experience of the early Christians. In describing how church meetings were to be conducted, uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, we see that uh, it was assumed that numerous people would have communication from God, that they were to share with others that would be gathered there. And the second way that God communicates his thoughts and intentions to those in relationship with him comes as we are immersed in the work that God is doing here on earth as we're working in his kingdom, building his kingdom. And here we come to understand God's will and what he's doing so well that we often know what he's thinking or intending to do. Listen to what Paul says uh, about having the mind of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 2, uh, 15 and 16, "...the spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ." God has revealed his thoughts and intentions to us through his Holy Spirit whom we have received. And therefore, we are to know his mind as it relates to our lives and the world around us. In many cases, we need to wonder about, you know, or uh, in many cases, our need to wonder about or be told what God wants in a certain situation is a clear indication of how clearly, of how uh, little we are engaged in the work that God is doing. In Mark chapter 3, we see a story about Jesus who encounters a man with a withered hand. It's the Sabbath, and he's in the synagogue. And Jesus gathers the people around him, and he said, you know, is it lawful for a man to do good and to heal on the Sabbath or to do evil and to leave him in distress? And the people were silent. They didn't have anything to say. And their silence betrayed their hardness of heart and their inability to know God's mind and God's will in that situation. But Jesus didn't hesitate He healed the man because he knew the mind of God. In a similar situation in John 5, he heals another man on the Sabbath who was an invalid for 38 years. And again, the Jews were (coughs) persecuting him for breaking the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them and he said, My Father is working until now, and I am working. So Jesus was engaged in his Father's business, making known the kingdom of God. And so too, when we're involved in what God is doing, when we're seeking first his kingdom, We will know his will and we'll know how to act accordingly. So God can and he does guide us in many ways. But his direct communication with us by word and by shared activity is really the most important. And this is because we are to become the temple of God, inhabited by his spirit, so that we can actively understand and cooperate with his purposes here on earth. You know, if we survey the scriptures... If we take a look at all of the ways that God has spoken to people throughout the ages, you know sometimes he spoke using a phenomenon plus a voice. We see this uh, when God spoke to Moses from a bush that burned but wasn't consumed. And we see it at the baptism of Jesus when the heavens were opened up and the Spirit visibly descended. Um, and we hear the voice come from heaven, that this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. But we also find it pretty common that you know, God... Um, we, we also find it pretty common in, that God addressed human beings via supernatural messengers or through angels. And just as, um, it, well, in the New Testament, we see that we see angels speaking to people like Joseph and Mary and Zechariah, John the baptizer's father. Angels speaking to Paul and to Peter. And we also find so many occurrences of God's communication coming through dreams, coming through visions. And sometimes it's difficult to distinguish between the two. This was the case uh, uh, with Paul in Acts chapter 16, where it said, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And both dreams and visions involve some degree of a trance-like condition or a certain kind of detachment from our, our own actual surroundings. And that makes it different from ordinary waking consciousness And we know some visions recorded in Scripture were clearly not dreams, and some of the dreams were clearly not visions. But then we also find God addressing people with an actual audible voice that could be heard. And probably the clearest and the most touching example of that is of the prophet Samuel when he was a young child ministering in the temple with uh, the priest Eli. And at the time, Samuel didn't have any experience hearing God. And he was lying down in the temple, and he audibly heard his name being called. And he assumed it was Eli, so he goes over to Eli's room and he says, Here I am, you called me. But it wasn't Eli, it was the Lord. And so Eli sent him back to go to sleep, and it happened three times before Eli finally figured out that it was God who was speaking to Samuel. And in Samuel, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And that was the beginning of Samuel's prophetic ministry, that... Uh, He learned to reliably hear from God and hear God's voice. But perhaps the most common means of communication between God and us found in the scriptures and throughout church history is that of a definite individual human voice or human being. In such cases, we find that God and the person he uses speak together. They speak conjointly when the word is definitely the word of God. It's God's message. But at the same time, it's the word of the human being who's also speaking. This isn't to be understood in a mechanical way, like you know, we would use a telephone or something like that. Samuel Shoemaker describes this kind of experience with God like this. Something comes into our own energies, capacities, and expands them. We're laid hold of by something greater than ourselves. We can face things, create things, accomplish things that in our own strength would have been impossible. The Holy Spirit seems to mix and mingle His power with our own so that what happens is both a heightening of our own powers and a gift to us from the outside. This is as real and as definite as attaching an appliance to an electrical outlet, though of course such a mechanical analogy is not altogether satisfactory. Have any of you experienced that? We were just talking about that between services. Have you heard... You're speaking and realize and recognize that God was actually giving you the words to say. Or maybe you didn't even realize it at the time, but afterwards, based on the results of what you had said or the activities that were done, you realized that God was working and you didn't even know it. It was God using you. Of all of the ways in which God's word comes to us objectively, that is, from outside of the mind or the personality of the person being addressed, it most commonly comes through a human being. And this makes sense when we understand that God intends to fully engage our faculties as free, intelligent human beings who are socially interacting with God's agape love and the work of His kingdom. And the Bible itself is a case of God speaking along with human beings in the process of its delivery to humankind. And now, as always, it speaks to us today. And finally, the last means that God uses to address us is our own human spirit. What's also referred to as that still small voice or that gentle whisper. These are our own thoughts and our feelings that are directed by God towards ourselves and towards events and towards other people around us. Of all of the subjective ways in which God may address us, such as through dreams or visions, this is the primary mode used because once again it's best suited for God's purpose of engaging us as free, intelligent people that are involved in His work. In the book of Proverbs chapter 20 verse 27 it says this The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord searching all his innermost parts The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord searching all his innermost parts you know, the apostle Paul describes and compares the self-knowledge of humans and of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 where he says that for who knows the the per, who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in, which is in him. So, no, so also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And as we've already read and seen, we've concluded that we can then search and we can know the very mind of God by means of his spirit. Where Paul says, Who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? but we have the mind of Christ. So we see that God uses our own self-knowledge, our own spirit heightened and given special, a special quality by his presence and by his direction to search us out and reveal the truth about ourselves and about our world. And we're also able to use his knowledge of himself that's revealed in the scriptures and through Jesus to, some, to in some measure understand his thoughts and his intentions towards us and towards our world. I mean, listen to what Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. And it's in this type of union and communion that every believer is meant to have with God, that we begin to grow in grace and God's laws and His love and His faith become ours to the point that our very awareness of our actions and our intentions and our surroundings begin to take on God's view and the things that are brought into clarity of His vision, just like a lamp, might illuminate a dark hallway, that hallway of our life. And this is how the spirit of the individual is truly the lamp of the Lord. And it's in this way that we're addressed by God and spoken to by Him through our own thoughts. Every believer needs to explore and experiment with this in their own as they as they pray to ask God to enlighten them as to what's going on in our own soul. Our spirit as a lamp in the Lord's hands is what sheds light on our condition and it allows us to address every part of our life. It touches upon our family, our possessions, our profession, our ministry, our health, our sexuality, our fears our attitudes about God and about other people, every area of our life. Rush Johnston points out the importance of our recurrent thoughts in God's communication when he says this, We would see wonderful results if we would just deal with the thoughts that continue in our minds in a godly manner. But most people don't. As thoughts come into your mind and continue, ask God, do you really want me or us to do this? Most of us just let those thoughts collapse and die right there. And God looks for somebody else to stand in the gap. You know, about a year and a half ago, through some very difficult personal circumstances in my own life, through some intense seeking on my part for direction from God, and through some serious study about what it really means to follow Jesus, I began to see a little bit more clearly God's purpose for my life. And I sensed at the time that in some way, somehow, that I should be using whatever God has given me to teach others about His kingdom. And I started having thoughts and ideas that you know I, I never really had before, thoughts that involved possibly you know starting a Bible study or maybe even starting a church. I mean it was crazy, I never thought of anything like that. it wasn't really clear what it was, but at the time, I can remember I had a dream, and I had this dream that Aaron was starting a church and that I was to be involved now you have to understand that at the time I really didn't know Aaron i can't say I, I remember really speaking to him about anything of any real importance at all and we really only knew each other indirectly you know through kids or through my wife and i definitely didn't know anything about his desire or his plans to start a church but shortly after i had the dream i was having lunch with uh, somebody that we mutually know and you know i I just made a comment you know i think Aaron should start a church and he just kind of smiled and he he smirked and i knew that something was up i knew that something was brewing And, and i knew you know what I need to set up a meeting. I need to talk to him. So I called him and I, I set up a meeting, but I didn't tell him what the subject was. And you know, at the time we had our nieces and nephews that were in our foster care, and I think they thought that we were going to try to pawn off our, our foster kids on them. To take so I'm, I'm sure he was nervous. You huh? probably were. At any rate, I guess he didn't have the same dream about me, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, rest, the rest is history. But that's just an example of how God has has spoken in my life. And I'm sure there's numerous stories and encounters that you guys could speak to as well and talk about. So as we've looked at the major ways in which God communicates with us and addresses us according to the biblical record, there are a few things here that we have to make clear and that have to be said. That there's no foundation in scripture or in reason or in the very nature of things why, why any or all of these types of experiences couldn't happen today. But the close of the scriptural canon, the Bible as we have it, the Bible as we know it today, it, that marks the point in history, that in, marks the point in this ongoing divine human conversation uh, where the principles and the doctrines of the Christian faith have already fully been stated in human language so that nothing more needs to be said in general. And we believe that nothing further will be said um, to extend or to contradict those principles that we find in scripture. Nothing's going to add to it. Nothing's going to take away from it. But just as we've seen that, you know, um, but just as we've seen that biblical faith is much more than holding certain beliefs about the Bible, biblical faith has more to do with leading the kind of life that's demonstrated in the Bible, a life of personal, intelligent, and loving interaction with our God. And this is my hope and my prayer for this message and for you this morning that we might remember that, God has called us to a personal, intimate relationship with him so that every day we should be listening for him to speak to us, to lead us and to guide us. He may be leading you to give food to somebody or so many different things that God may want to do through you. He might want to manifest his love through you to other people. He'll speak to you. He'll lead you. He'll guide you. And as we do every week, as we come to communion, the band can come up. Let's remember what communion really is. Communion is celebrating and remembering our union with God made possible through Jesus Christ's body that was broken and his blood that was shed. So as you break that cracker and you dip it in the grape juice or in the wine, take this opportunity to say, God, thank you for allowing me to be in relationship with you. Thank you for being there to lead me and guide me. Pray with me, please. Father, as we worship you this morning, as we um, give you our gifts and our offerings, as we worship you in song, as we come to your table, Lord, I pray that you would remind us, Lord, just how much you love us and the price that you paid for us and the fact that you want to lead us and guide us every step of the way, Lord. So this morning, um, we just thank you for your grace and your mercy in our lives. Lord, if there are those here who have never entered into that relationship with you, I pray that even now, Lord, that they would reach out, that they would trust you, Jesus, that you died for their sins and that you've paid the price so that they could know you. For those that haven't talked to you for a while, Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would draw them back and that they would realize that life isn't really living, Lord, unless it's in communion with you and following you and being led by you. Father, guide us by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.